0: Everybody, welcome to Theology on Tuesdays. We're glad that you are here. My name is Justin. This is Brian McGreevy. And uh, we're delighted that you came. You'll see these little sheets of paper scattered around the room if this is your first time. You'll actually need these because this top QR code, uh, at any point that we're talking, you can submit any kind of question, whether it's related to what we're saying or not, anonymously. And at the second half of our time, we are going to... uh, Who's going to... We have somebody who's going to John. 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 Great. great. Thanks, John. He's going to pose all these questions. So if you see a question that you like uh, on the on your phone, just go ahead and like it. And hopefully the the ones that have the most likes will go all the way to the top. Hopefully that's how it works. Um, if you want to join our email list, you can scan that other QR code down here on the left and join our email list and stay up to date with all the things that we've got going on. This is our last theology on Tuesdays for two thousand twenty-three. It's amazing. It's been a great year. It's yeah, hard it's to believe it's been two and a half year. years of doing this. Yes, we are so delighted that uh, other people have showed up for some reason, other than just Brian and I, which is great. Yeah, and we're so thankful for Henry's and Clark, as always, for having us. And uh, as hey, we mentioned, Clark. yeah, Clark deserves a round. Of applause. <laughs> Before we begin tonight, as I mentioned last week, we've changed our name. Due to copyright infringement, we did or trademark trademark infringement. Trademark yes. infringement. We didn't know that somebody out there had, had done that. But anyways, we're still top, which is good. But uh, we had ended up because that was a kind of a lame change to move from theology on tap to theology on Tuesdays. But it made the most logical sense. The most creative suggestion that we got, which won four pint glasses, with the the new most creative name was Divine Drafts and Discourse, oh submitted by our own Cole Davis, and he, it was creative because he wrote a jingle, actually. But, but what's the acronym Oh, for Triple it? D's, yes, Divine, Discourse, Divine Drafts and Discourse, or Triple D's, and uh, we were like, that's pretty good, but when he submitted the song with it, we were blown away, yes. just blown away. So, Chris, we're hoping that you've got that for us to play. I mean, so good We still may adopt that as our intro to theology on Tuesday It's just because it's so awesome Right, and no one will understand why Which will make it that much better But look around, I mean, this is like the exact uh, context that's perfect for So anyways, well tonight, we're talking about the holidays, and we're talking about giving and gratitude, which is, I was talking to somebody tonight, and they were like, hopefully that's not too controversial tonight, that you should be grateful, and you should give of your time, talent, and treasure, but why would we talk about those two things tonight in particular?
1: Well, because we are moving into... Well, I shouldn't even say moving into And the church, we're getting ready to move into the Christmas season. Uh, And the culture, um, I walked into Lowe's in September, and there were inflatable Santas that were already there. Um, So we are coming into the Christmas season, and uh, there is a lot of emphasis on gift-giving, and uh, there's a lot of emphasis on what am I going to get You know, what am I going to get? And also, a lot of emphasis on, I deserve this. Um, my favorite one of those is the there's a really bad credit card ad for this woman who's buying a rec- massage recliner. Have you seen that? as well, I won't go into it to protect you. Um, But it's just so clearly, it's all about me. It's all about me and it's about what I want and it's about my comfort, which from a theological perspective is just so opposite of what Christmas is. And um, you know, you often hear with hopefully people who are a lot younger than y'all What I got for Christmas was so lame. My parents gave me books, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like Um, you've been in my house. I don't know how you... (laughs) But trying to learn to cultivate gratitude is so important because gratitude is deeply, deeply related to joy and happiness. And in gratitude, the lack of gratitude... Uh, is also deeply related to anxiety and depression
0: and unhappiness. Yeah. So
1: seems like it might be important to talk about. Totally.
0: Yeah. That was one of the things that, as we were thinking about this topic over the last couple of weeks, gratitude and giving and contentment and anxiety and covetousness, all of this sort of stuff, they go together in so many ways. And one of the things I think it's, it, it may not be controversial. Like these are good things. But the way I, I think ingratitude and self-serving operate is that they're subtle. Like you don't, mm-hmm. nobody thinks of themselves as a greedy narcissist. <laughs> I don't. I think um, that's just not generally how we tend to, to think of ourselves. It's right. usually a little bit right. more under the hood than that. And so I think it's important to recognize as we talk about these things. Don't just write it off in your own life. But thinking about, wow, maybe maybe some of the cause of my constant worry, maybe some of the anxiety, a lot of the presenting issues that this generation experiences can be not because you're consciously making a decision to be uh, ungrateful or narcissistic, but because the world around us really just operates on this level and it's like swimming in water without knowing that you're swimming. Yeah, Yeah. which is, uh, if you
1: haven't read the David Foster Wallace uh, address uh, on, water uh, that is something that would be well worth your time but part of part of the deal with all of this is that cultivating gratitude involves having to take your eyes off of yourself and we've talked before in here about Jesus says the greatest commandment out of everything and all of Scripture and out of everything that people understand about God the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's only a little bit about you in that commandment. And so when you are focused on God, when you're focused on others, when you're focused on um, all of the things that you are given that we take for granted, like health and vision and being able to walk or being able to look up at a beautiful sunset, all of those kinds of things, those demand taking your eyes off of yourself in your situation
0: yeah and you know it, part of it is requires you to slow down actually mm-hmm. to stop and i think that's one of the the tricky things we just you mean live intentionally live intentionally but um but being intentional about taking a moment because if you're like me it doesn't come natural to, to just all of a sudden be grateful and if you ask okay what are some the top five things you're grateful for, I'd maybe get one or two. um, But to really be intentional about slowing down, thinking about what are the incredible gifts that God has given. And usually after a couple minutes of doing that, it's like a waterfall turns on. They just come and come and come. Um, But it's one of those things. Last night, I took my family. We uh, got the kids in the minivan and had some hot chocolate. And it was just like we were going to go see the lights around the neighborhood. Which we're like, hey, what could be the? This is a wonderful little uh, fun time for us to get out there and go see this, and it was fascinating. Just going, I didn't expect this, but my middle child ends up going, man, all of these people's houses are so much bigger than ours. How? Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was like, well, I didn't expect all of a sudden the like covetousness to come out in this like wonderful time of the year, looking at all the different lights and Santa and all that. Um, but I thought that is such a great example of how subtle some of these things are, is we can be looking at this beautiful world around us and then quickly go, ooh, mine's not like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. So how
0: would you, like, what, is, what would you advise my child or somebody maybe not older than that um, to, how would you actually begin to practice gratitude in an intentional way? Well, I think you already hit on one of the key things, which is
1: to take some time to pause And to think Uh, one of the habits that uh, if you uh, were fortunate enough to have a grandmother in your life who was southern uh, one of the things that I would almost guarantee you that any southern grandmother would say at some point in your life is count your blessings Uh, and they actually really meant that that you think about all of the things that are blessings in your life that you don't deserve and you literally count them you take stock of them And it used to be a custom, this is not true so much in our culture now, but people used to actually have something called a blessing jar, where if something wonderful happened or they felt God's blessing in some way, they would write it on a little slip of paper and put it in the jar and save those for days that were bad days to pull them out to remind them of that. Remembering is also deeply related to this. One of the habits that's in... Uh, this book called The Common Rule that we recommend pretty much every time we have yeah. the LG <laughs> on Tuesdays, uh, is uh, one of the habits it talks about is to break the habit of waking up and immediately grabbing your phone. Now, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is grab your phone. But if you do that, what that does is it lets your phone set the agenda for what's going on in your head and your heart. And what the common rule says instead is that when you wake up, the first thing you do is you roll out of bed onto your knees and you spend a moment giving thanks to God that you have a new day and a new morning. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing you do is to think about a scripture verse. If you did even just that, it would reframe the way that your whole life unfolds. Uh, I also think that noticing things Mm -hmm. is really part of this, and it's hard to notice my phones over there, so I can't use it as my prop, but you can't notice things if you are always looking at your phone. Um, One of the things that was really disturbing when I was in Europe this summer, is we were in some of the great art museums of the world, and I was happy to see that there were people who were younger than 70 who were in there, Uh, but... One of the things that was really sad is that a lot of people were sitting on the bench in the middle of the room where they're like all of these world-class masterpieces and they're sitting on the bench looking at their phone. You can't be thankful for the art if you're looking at your phone. You can't be thankful for the sunset, for the wind on your face, for the feel of the warmth of the sun, the beauty of the stars, um, any of those things if you are focused on your phone or just focused on yourself and your problems or if you're complaining about something complaining and gratitude are antithetical to each other
0: yeah and um that's i love what you talked about being able to notice things actually good art comes from artists who literally are just really good at seeing right and the the to the degree that you can see what's there uh, is going to help you actually tell the story of the world and the beauty that's there in a way that will help uh, form gratitude that you're experiencing the beauty that God's placed in the world, right? Um, one of the things I've done in the past that has been helpful is actually writing down things that throughout the day that I was great. It doesn't yeah. have to be often, but just the practice of slowing down to write mm-hmm. them. It's if huge. you keep yeah. if keeping a journal, if you don't, like I would encourage you, it's a great way to be able to go back over the years and see the things that God has done and be able to give thanks for answered prayers, give thanks for the way He's worked in our life. Um, you know, you talked about the word remember. That shows up over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Same thing with uh, giving thanks. These are constant things that God wants us to to know who He is mm-hmm. by remembering what He's done. Probably the greatest um, temptation is to forget, right? Yes. And that is... It requires intentionality and it, and it requires us to actually slow down and set our minds on one thing and one thing yes. only. and one of the things
1: that goes with that whole remembering that's particularly appropriate at this time of the year is that there was a command in scripture uh, when joshua is crossing over the river miraculously into the promised land uh, and the river is at flood stage, and they cross miraculously into it, this promised land, God tells them to pick some of these flat river stones that are at the bottom of the river, and to stack them on the side of the river in the promised land to remind them of God's faithfulness and bringing them there, and the name of the stone of remembrance is an Ebenezer, And if you are going to watch A Christmas Carol at some point or read that story by Dickens, which I would highly recommend during this season, it is not an accident that the character is called Ebenezer Scrooge and that Dickens has him remembering things because that act of remembering is something that we are told over and over and over again in scripture to do because we are called to remember the Lord's faithfulness. And doing that and writing it down can be especially helpful because then when you get to those times that are discouraging, you can go back and remind yourself of how God
0: was faithful. That's right. Um, and so yeah, being grateful, obviously, is related to contentment. And growing in contentment means becoming aware, remembering the things that God has blessed you with. Another thing that is helpful in uh, recognizing how to grow in gratitude, and this is counterintuitive, I think, is actually growing and giving away the things that God has given you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's counterintuitive because it's, it's, the, it's the opposite of what we would think. Uh, the things that we are appreciating and loving that God has blessed us with, we want to hold on to those things often, right? And the more we want to uh, we flex that muscle of holding on to what God's given us, actually those things can become ensnaring to us. Uh, the verse that comes to mind is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, we, these with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich will fall away into temptation, into a snare. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about, this desire for things beyond what we have is such an ensnaring, enslaving thing, that actually the practice of regularly giving away the things that God has blessed us with, it's it's like the antidote to becoming consumed with them. Yes,
1: I think that is so true. And I think one of the reasons that that is true is that there is joy that we are hardwired for that comes from giving things away. And we keep trying to find that joy in other things and thinking if we get enough stuff, then suddenly we're going to suddenly be happy. But it just doesn't work like that. And when I was in my first career when I was a lawyer, I was regularly with executives who were, if not billionaires, very high up there in terms of their net worth. And most of them were miserable and felt like they didn't have enough. You know, they didn't have enough. Their yacht wasn't big enough. Their private jet wasn't as good as the other guys. I mean, it's just unbelievable how somebody with that much money could be that discontent. But if you look at the scriptures, it's actually not surprising. But one of the things that um, I love, you neither there was a C.S. Lewis quote coming, but uh, one of the things that Lewis says in one of his books, uh, that's probably a little bit of a theological speculation, uh, but he said the only things that we will have in heaven are the ones that we've given away. Mm. And, and the point that he's trying to make is that we need to hold loosely onto the things that we have here. And probably one of the, and I guess monetary value things, one of the greatest gifts that I was ever given, someone gave me a book by C.S. Lewis uh, that's called The Great Divorce. Uh, and this particular copy was a very rare copy that was signed by C.S. Lewis and that he had given to the person that the book was dedicated to. It was that person's copy and inscribed to her, which was worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But he gave it to me mostly because he knew it would bring me joy, which it did. Uh, But it brought him so much more joy to give that book to me. I mean, to watch him, when I was unwrapping that, he was just beside himself with joy and happiness because he was giving something away, mm-hmm. which seems counterintuitive, but you know, if you could have seen his
0: face in that moment, it was
1: just remarkable.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think often a lot of times people misquote uh, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. They think money is the root of all evil. It's actually not, money itself is not bad. Uh, the blessings we have are not bad. But the love of anything in this earth more than than God Himself, right? Right, and grasping on, grasping onto, grasping it. onto yeah. it, holding on to it, is um, is a root of all evil, right? And so the the practice of of giving it away, and that's why um, Jesus talks about the um, laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven as opposed to here on this earth. And if you've ever met people who um, are so good at giving things away you notice that there is a direct correlation of joy mm-hmm. that they have um, and and it's it's enticing it's amazing how loosely they hold on to the things of this world and, and believing that believing that we actually have everything we really truly need for eternity in heaven mm-hmm. frees us up to actually be able to hold loosely on the things here and now yes
1: yeah and I think being able to um, think carefully about ways that you can give that are meaningful, whether it be giving to a friend or giving to an organization or giving to the church, whatever it might be, that means denying yourself. And one of the paradoxal, paradoxical things about Christianity is that we are called to deny ourselves, but that the result of that self-denial is not sadness,
0: and bleak outlook, but it's joy and freedom. Right. Um, Jesus talked about that too, right? In the uh, Sermon on the Mount, when he's talking about beware of giving, uh, like the Pharisees, those who are practicing their righteousness so that other people will see just how great they are, right? He says, no, don't do that. When you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you and uh, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Instead, uh, I say to you that they've received their reward, but when you do give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your giving may be in secret. And that's because ultimately our giving is an act of, of worship to God. This is why right. in, in our actual on Sunday mornings, there's a reason that we have what's called the offertory. This is when we give of our goods, and we can go into how that developed in the history of the church but that was a critical element in the worship of God's people on that one day a week where they gave their tithes and offerings mm-hmm. as an act of worship as uh, as a way of remembering this is not ultimately my, my greatest allegiance and I think right. we talked about this and that's your truth huh yeah, yeah the same way that God says hey take one day a week off uh, so that you're not defined by your work you're not defined by what you produce that's why you should take a, a Sabbath rest one day a week, he says. In the same sense, we give away our money as an act of worship because we're not defined by our mammon, by mm-hmm. the things that we accumulate, by our possessions. And we can it, it's it's literally like going to the gym and training those spiritual muscles to actually love and to let go of the things that we don't want our identity to be right. in. Yeah, and one of the things that
1: is interesting, again, going back to C. S. Lewis, is that people would talk about how after his conversion, he went from being like this really arrogant, sort of obnoxious Oxford professor to becoming this humble, joyful man. And as he became more and more famous and wrote things that were more and more successful, one of the things he was terrified of was becoming obsessed with comfort and money. So what he did is he made an arrangement that all of the proceeds from all of his books went into a blind trust where he never saw any of the money, and he asked one of his friends to administer it, and it made anonymous gifts to widows and orphans and people that needed scholarship assistance. And it ended up being millions of dollars, but the, the problem was the first year he did it, he gave away so much money um, and he forgot about the fact he was going to have to pay taxes on his income. Um, <laughs> he didn't have enough money to be able to pay his taxes. so He had to like literally borrow money to be able to pay his taxes. But he did that for the rest of his life and gave away millions and millions and millions of dollars um, and was just overjoyed that he could do that because he said, I have everything I need. Yeah.
0: And it actually probably enables you to do that which produces the money with a a kind of freedom and a joy. Right. That once all of a sudden you're now doing something for the money, it loses... You're set free. Yeah. If you're doing it for the money, you lose some of the joy of the actual act Mm -hmm. itself, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, before we throw it open to questions, I'm curious. What would you say... um, Okay, gratitude is something I think we all can easily practice. but. Uh, I'm imagining a lot of people in this room, like myself, are like, I'm pretty tapped out. I know the economy right now. I don't have that much of an income. Uh, maybe I don't have an income at all. How, how can I grow in generous giving? What would that look like? What would you say to somebody? Yeah,
1: I would say it's a twofold thing. The first thing I would say is that uh, the first part is getting the attitude of your heart right with God. And I think part of what that means is to, and again, using a Lewis analogy, when you see something that you're thankful for, to be thankful for it, but also to look, as Lewis would say, back up the sunbeam to the sun, to think about the fact that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift and everything that is beautiful. So I think having that attitude before you do anything is really important. And then the next thing is to if you are able to give monetarily to support um, a church or a charity or something like that, that is a very good thing, even if it's a small amount. And I'm a big believer in auto withdrawal, you know, to to do that so it happens to sort of automatically, even if it's $5 a month, which any of us could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think the other thing to do is there are ways that you can give that are not money. There are ways that you can give time, there are ways that you can give encouragement, like writing notes to people, writing a handwritten note, even if it's just to say, I really appreciate the fact that you're my friend and I was having a rough day the other day and just the fact that we could be together and you listened to me really helped me. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful God has put you in my life. That cost nothing. But the kingdom fruit from that is huge. So I think we have to learn to be creative in the way that we give and not think just in monetary terms and not think if it, if I can't give ten thousand dollars and it's not worth giving
0: five. That's right. Yeah, yeah. At the end, uh, Jesus gives the parable of the the widow's mite, right, and that she in giving just two little pennies uh, was actually so much more than those who gave. Uh, monetarily, more, right. right? It's yes. about proportion. I, I think a lot of us probably have been into a, a worship service or heard a preacher give, and it was all cloaked in shame and guilt and duty. And it drives me nuts when people can try to browbeat you into giving, because that's totally antithetical to what the New Testament actually teaches. It teaches giving out of a heart of gratitude, a giving out of an overflow uh, of, of love and gratitude um, that, that you want to pour out into this. And so when, when people basically just told to give, you're defeating, you're undercutting the very thing that it's meant to do, which is to be cheerful in your giving. Yes, right. sacrificial, but also cheerful. And, uh, yeah, and, and
1: the original language, the word for cheerful giver, is actually hilaritas, mm-hmm. which is the word that we get hilarious from to be really overjoyed to yeah. be able to do it.
0: So that was one of the reasons we really wanted to talk about giving because giving is actually a good thing. It's going to increase your joy when it's done in the right way with the right understanding. And so often that's not actually been the case. And so we want to encourage you all and ourselves to give because there's joy connected to it, not because you need to do this for X, Y, and Z, right? And if you're
1: giving Christmas gifts, trying to do that thoughtfully and not Mm -hmm. just, you know, buying a gift card for Amazon, um, not to cause shame for anyone to send <laughs> that, uh, but to thoughtfully give gifts. I'm going to embarrass you for a minute. but Last year we have um, secret Santas in the church staff, and I was very fortunate last year because Justin was my secret Santa, and I got all of these incredibly <laughs> thoughtful gifts. I mean, it was just. A really beautiful thing and they weren't necessarily expensive gifts but they were thoughtful and some of them had really wonderful notes that came with them and that kind of thing means a lot more than just getting you know I would have rather had that than a thousand dollar gift card so thank you for that
0: well I don't know what to say that's really right. well (laughs) I'm trying to make you cry. I don't know how to easily (laughs) move on from that, so I'm just going to awkwardly change into something else. Um, So the the other thing I did want to say was, um, you know, right now, I've got three children, finances feel tight, but one of the things that we did together, actually, oh, there were two things I wanted to say. One was auto-draw, auto-withdraw. It's really good, but there's something also, especially when, just log this away for when you have children, like, Putting, putting something the point. in yep. is actually a really important action, children. and I think yep. it's actually important for adults. Like um, for us, it's a symbolic action, right? Of like we are doing this together, and it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's just a small fragment of our actual uh, monthly giving because we give mostly through auto withdrawal. Right. We still put something in there so that we all see this as a symbolic act. The other thing I was going to say is that one of the things we like to do is thinking creatively together about strategically, where can we cut back on like the stuff that we think that we need, but we actually don't need, mm-hmm. and then to use the portions from that to actually give away. Yep. That was one of the things that we just did this year um, in looking at insurance. Uh, we were paying a whole lot, and we really didn't need to be doing, mm-hmm. so we were like, hey, we can do this, and now we can give more, and we're thankful, we're happy about that, yeah. because it's gonna uh, lead to more joy in our hearts, so. Should we open it up to questions? Sure. Sean, how are we doing? Where
2: are you? There you are. Come on. Okay. Yes, you are. Um, We're doing very well on questions. Uh, If everyone wants to take a minute to light some of these questions. um, I'll go ahead and start. Can you share a time in your life that you were ungrateful or anxious about the Lord? Or, sorry. Can you share a time in your life that you were ungrateful or anxious, but the Lord changed your heart?
0: Oh. hmm yeah a lot of times. which one about what? <laughs> <laughs> lots of different things um, you want to go yeah go? so I think
1: one of the things that uh, there are so many of those stories but I remember a time when I was ungrateful and anxious when we had left uh, Atlanta and the lucrative career that I was in and we're trying to follow what we believe was God's leading and, um, starting our own business and finances were very, very tight and my car literally died. I mean, not just needed repair, it was gone. And there was no money. I could have borrowed money, but we were already in debt from buying the business. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is just awful. And I didn't really know what we were going to do. And I prayed, and then I met with my prayer partner and prayed. And to make a long story short, um, about 48 hours later, someone gave me a $15,000 car, someone I didn't even know. Um, That completely turned my attitude around. Um, I don't think it has to be something dramatic like that. There have been plenty of other times when it was just a change of my mind and the way I was looking at something, but that was a very
0: dramatic example of God
1: changing that.
0: Yeah, um, you know, it's amazing. We, just reading the Sermon on the Mount, actually, which I've been doing mm-hmm. lately, Jesus talks about money and anxiety back to back, and it's like... Over but, and over. Yeah, it's over and yes, over and over and over again, and the correlation between those, which is... Why I think he says to give as well, but in in my own life, let me just so I was in a season a few years ago where I uh, was raising all of my salary, all the funds for the ministry that I was doing, that fell on me to do. And um, I had two children and a wife who looked at me like, Are you serious? We're actually going to move away. And you're going to, like, I don't think you're a really good salesman, Justin. <laughs> I don't think we should do this. How are you possibly going to raise the money? Like, what happens if our child needs to go to the doctor or we need groceries? Like, there's no way it's going to work. And I was like, man, you're probably right. Like, this is terrifying. So I uh, one of the books, and I would encourage you to read it. It's super short. It's, like, less than 50 pages. Um, and don't, if you, even if you never fundraise in your life, read The Spirituality by of Fundraising. The Spirituality of of fundraising by Henry Nowen, and it absolutely changed the entire way, I think, about money uh, and and people with money, recognizing that, as we started tonight, a lot of people have money, and a lot of people, I think, it's important to give, so they do Mm -hmm. give, but it really kind of identified some of the idols in my own heart and the anxiety that I had when it came to my own self-sufficiency and my own control in my life and recognizing that God is going to provide for what um, what I need, you know, right. and so I stepped out in faith, and there were times where it was really scary, and I was very anxious, um, and I actually grew to the point where I just said, hey, all right, I'm going to do this, and if you don't provide, then I'll have to do something else, mm-hmm. um, but even that's a little scary with children and all that stuff, but he he provided, even down to, like, sometimes where I needed an exorbitant amount uh, to make a full paycheck a month, and, you know, sometimes, if you ever heard the stories where it's like, you know, fifty dollars showed up in my mailbox, and like, oh my goodness! Well, but I was like, actually, really, happens. I don't believe that. And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, that actually just happened. Yes. Like, what do I yes. do with that? So, um, that was a time for sure in my life where the Lord really grew me. But I love that little book by Nowan, and a little nugget too that was so helpful because the part of this question was about gratitude. Is I, I learned that gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude. Gratitude unexpressed is ingratitude. And so when I was in the raising funds and people who were giving, whether it was just $5 or $5,000 or whatever it was, really writing a handwritten note, calling up and saying thank you, just being with them, talking about their lives, praying with them, all of those things I learned to do uh, to express (laughs) gratitude, that it was more than just this uh amount of money it was about a relationship and that's yes. ultimately what we're made well and i
1: would say one other thing with that there's a great part in lewis's screw tape letters where he says one of the things you want to do is to get your patient when this is a devil trying to stop somebody from living out their christian faith get your patient to have all these feelings of gratitude but never ever express them because you can feel so grateful to your friend or your family or to god But to never express it, and it's exactly what Justin just said, that makes it ingratitude. The person has no idea that you actually feel that way.
2: Do you think God can put a knowing in us of our destiny when we are very young? Yes. Yes.
1: Next question. (laughs) (laughs)
2: You you certainly can.
1: (laughs) Um, uh, I think that. that, that actually is a great question, and I think what God does, not for everyone, but in some people, he puts a longing in you at a very young age for that sort of thing, and you see that in scripture, not with everyone, but that there are plenty of examples in scripture where that does happen, so I think that is mm-hmm. something that is, uh, can be very real.
0: It doesn't always work like that, either. I mean, you can be somebody who's doing the very opposite, and the Lord takes you and brings you to doing something completely Mm -hmm. different than what you thought you would ever be doing. So, um, yeah, it just—it depends. But he certainly does, and he, I think, does often.
2: How should you approach claims of Christmas being inherently evil due to overlap with pagan celebrations?
1: Uh, That is a great question. Uh, I would say that one of the things that you can do with that is to be your own personal Snopes website. Um, I don't know if you bought the Snopes website. which is supposed to uh, expose frauds on the internet. Uh, a lot of this whole uh, strain of thinking about Christi- Christians having sort of taken over a pagan holiday for Christmas, um, if you really start pushing into that it's not really true uh, to begin with so there's there's that aspect of it but I also think that uh, it's if somebody is pushing you about that it would be really important to ask questions to that person about you know what why are you concerned about this tell me more about what your concern is Mm -hmm. because usually that is a Mm smokescreen in my experience, for some sort of spiritual longing that's behind that or maybe where somebody has been hurt and they're, they're looking for a way to, to kind of lash out.
0: Isn't that mainly about the date yes. of when it's celebrated? Yes. It's actually not really about the claims of Christianity so much at all. Like <laughs> One of the things that's so unique about Christianity is that it's so different than every other world religion and a uh, form of belief. It's not about working up to God, but God has come down to us when we were running away from him and mm-hmm. he set his love and affection on us when we did not deserve it, which is, runs totally roughshod against every other kind of claim. And f- for Christmas and the pagan holiday, I really think it just has to do with December 25th and, and the, the date. So it's Right, which at one likely, level doesn't really matter yeah, either. Yeah. But if, if you're the
1: person that's concerned about that, Um, talk to me later I can send you some really helpful
2: um, good information about that what are some of the best organizations to volunteer with in the Charleston community oh Oh,
1: such a good question
2: Um, one of the ones that
1: I have on my mind right now uh, many of you if you go to St. Philip's know that we partner with water mission and water mission is uh, one of the top Christian groups that works to address um, the very real need for clean drinking water around the world. They have brought clean drinking water to literally millions of people all around the world. They're one of the top first responders when there's a natural disaster somewhere. Uh, but like even now, if you've got time tomorrow or later this week, they have got a real need for volunteers out there to help them someone gave them money for something that they need hands-on to be able to make it happen. So Water Mission is a great group. Star Gospel Mission, uh, which is on Meeting Street, is another amazing ministry that helps homeless people um, to get off the street and to begin to live uh, a life that is a little bit less risky. Uh, there are- Neighbors Together. Yeah, Neighbors Together. Um, Hope to Home is another one. Um, that works with refugees and homeless people. Uh, There there are just a lot of good organizations that are on the front line with that. And volunteering with the church is another great thing to do. There are so many ways that you can serve in a local church, whether it's helping with the soundboard at the church, or helping with setup and takedown, or working with youth group. I mean,
0: just lots of different things. Yeah. I was going to say, don't overlook your own local church. Like where you go to church and investing in that is, is really important. <laughs> I would also say don't overlook the local school system. Just a lot of these folks just going in there, partnering with the system, the administrators, the teachers. Uh, there's an organization called Be a Mentor where you can actually be a mentor in uh, students' lives. And that sort of thing changes lives very, very practically. And so um, those, that's a great question. I love that. And I would say also, too, going back to the local church thing, it's like when you look at the New Testament, uh, it says to give, right, of your time, talent, and treasure, both uh, outside in the world, but also it it does give a a good substantial amount of priority to the needs of the saints, to the people in the church, right, and so widows, orphans, those within the body, and that was what was so amazingly powerful in the witness of the church was how they cared for one another, Mm -hmm. so... That's a that's a very tangible place to build relationships and to to pour out yourself. Yeah.
2: Is It's a wonderful life objectively the best example of gratitude in <laughs> Christmas Eve. Uh It's pretty good. Uh, if you
1: ne- <laughs> if you've never watched It's a Wonderful Life, I would commend it to you. It has several significant theological problems, particularly <laughs> its understanding of angels. Um, but in terms of the gratitude for the wonder of life gratitude for family gratitude for friends um, gratitude for um, the agency that you have to be able to do things in your life and you know implicitly gratitude toward God uh, it is it's a pretty
0: strong movie I've never seen it I don't know. I've heard Die Hard is the best Christmas movie ever. (laughs) uh, Uh, that's How the
1: Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes.
2: I'm struggling with Christmas not feeling as magical as it felt when I was in high school and in college. Do you have any advice? Uh, Well, I would say a couple of things
1: to that. One is that feelings are fickle, and so often they can be impacted by other things that are going on in your life. Uh, One of the things that's hard uh, compared to when you were uh, in high school or college or younger is that uh, adulting, for lack of a better word, uh, is not so easy because you have bills to pay and all of that kind of stuff. And you like might have to make Christmas dinner instead of eating your mom's. Um, And so that can make it seem less magical, but I would say, uh, particularly worship at Christmas, and I, I don't know if I want to use the word magical or not, but we'll, we'll stick with that. I think of magic in the, and and the good. A that's kind of exactly way right. I you was know. just going to say, in the Lewis and <laughs> no. Tolkien lane of, of magic, uh, that there is wonder and beauty and joy in Christmas worship. And if you... Um, are feeling lacking in that, I would really encourage you to go to one of the St. Philip services on Christmas Eve. Those services, I know several people that were converted from being atheist just by going to that service. Um, The beauty and wonder and truth that is expressed in those services about God's love revealed in the incarnation, uh, I think trying to lean into that, trying to lean into the um, secular side of uh, Santa and all that, but that that's going to be a dead-end street. But I think leaning into um, Advent first, preparing, and leaning into some of the old music of Advent, and then going to a good Christmas
0: Eve service, uh, that should help a lot with the wonder and magic. Yeah, Yeah, I, I resonate a lot with this question. I think growing up, at least up to high school, I really loved Christmas, and especially in college, and just the older you get, the more you see that the world's not the way it should be, the more you experience suffering in your own life, and the more um, it just gets difficult in some ways, and you just got to acknowledge that, but that's actually what, in some ways, helps the message of Christmas, like you have an opportunity before you at that moment, and that's where. The true message of Christmas, uh, that God would draw near to a weary world and come close and, and know the, the brokenhearted, the downcast. That's what I love about Advent, is Advent is this season where we prepare not just for the first, but also the second coming, where God is going to definitively complete His salvation, where He's going to right every wrong. And it began with that first coming, where he really did come uh, and and win for us a great victory, where he defeated our sin and uh, pardoned it, but he promises he's going to, just as sure as he came the first time, he will come again, and that is the hope that we have, I think, at Christmas, is we bank that this is just the down payment of an even greater salvation that awaits when he returns, yeah. and... Um,
1: and I think listening to great, good Christmas music is part of that. And you have to be very deliberate about that, because if you're just listening to the radio, you're going to get rocking around the Christmas tree. Over, and there's over, nothing over, wrong over. with that, but that is not the hope and joy of Christmas. But you know that the question reminds me so much of the story that some of you probably know of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was a great poet um, who had a lot of tragedy in his life, uh, and was particularly torn up about the Civil War when his son ran away to join the army and then was critically wounded. And he wrote this Christmas carol when he was kind of in the midst of his despair. And one of the verses of that says, and in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But then the next stanza says, then pealed the bells, more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And there's a lot, a lot of those old Christmas carols really get at that um, sort of dichotomy between the way we feel, the truth of the wonder of God's love and the incarnation.
2: Good question. How does our church feel about calls for Jewish genocide from Harvard?
0: (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, so I don't think the church has a position statement on that, but I can tell you pretty emphatically that any call for any genocide against anyone uh, is appalling from a Christian understanding. Uh, The Christian understanding that every person, every person regardless of their belief system is made in the image of God and has dignity and worth. And so uh, anything remotely like calls for genocide is absolutely appalling and inappropriate.
2: How do we tithe appropriately? That's
1: also a good question. So the tithe, um, for people who um, are not familiar with that term, comes from the Old Testament is the idea of giving the first fruits of your crops and um, animals and all of that to God. And it came to be defined as giving the first 10% to God. But really, the New Testament standard is not so much the tithe um, as it is to um, give more out of gratitude to God, not to just limit it to that particular amount. But I think that for all of us uh, today, we have to start somewhere, and so I think making the decision to regularly give is the first part of that, and then to begin to move that, move the dial on that um, to more generosity each year would be the way to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think trying to constantly grow in your giving. Uh, if you don't give sacrificially, you're not actually that invested in your gift, I don't think. So until you actually have to feel a, a little bit of just like, ooh, this this affects how I live and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, then you actually uh, will, and, and I think that's different for everybody, right? And so I think you said that very well. But trying to find that place where you can give, man, this this is a stretch, but also this is really, I'm excited to give, to these things and uh, the joy that comes with being able to give a little bit more than you think that you can. uh, One of the things we have, you've gotta go back, read 2 Corinthians eight through nine. It's a great, like two chapters Mm -hmm. in the Bible on giving cheerfully and how people who didn't have a whole lot gave an incredible amount and how God made it abound. And without compulsion. (laughs) Without compulsion, yeah. 2
2: Corinthians eight and nine. One more? Do you think it would be a good idea to set a reminder on your phone every morning to read a Bible verse? If so, which verses would you recommend?
1: Uh, I think that's a great idea. I think anything that can help you remember um, that breaks your step during the day and makes you focus on the kingdom of God uh, is really good. Uh, I would say you know, there, there are different ways that you could do that. You could decide that you want to try to memorize some scripture so you could pick a verse Uh, And do that every day of the week until you memorize it. Um, Philippians is a short book of the Bible uh, where I think it might be a good idea to maybe say I'm gonna read Philippians and just do a verse each time your phone goes off to get through that book. Or if there's a particular uh, thing in your life that you feel like you are dealing with and you want to bring God's Word to bear on whatever that issue is finding a verse that relates to that and writing it down I'm a big believer in writing it down with your hand on paper or a note card and holding that in front of you every time that the phone gives you the reminder that can be a good way too. Yeah,
0: I found that phone reminders help me when I'm trying to do something like multiple times during the day um, for instance like the common rule they have a morning a midday and an evening right and so I have to have reminders for those sorts of things. Uh, but if it's usually when I'm trying to think about how do I incorporate the Bible into my day, especially at the beginning of the day, whether it's the alarm or whatever it is, um, I generally try to, I think, reading just one verse, you can probably do a chapter. Like I think yeah. my, my, In addition to what you said, I think that was great. I would say starting with one of the Gospels or maybe the Book of Psalms, I love Proverbs. Those are easy things that you don't have to h- know a whole lot about the Bible to really get a aware, lot out so, of. Yeah. And there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And I've heard it said like most months of the year have 31 days. Yes, that's that? actually true. So that's I can do some math. Adjusted. Yeah, y'all <laughs> so come back. Uh, did you get to Duke? <laughs> I did. Yeah, they taught me that first semester. So. Uh, no, the, yeah, Psalms, Proverbs, Gospels. That'd be good. Well, I think that's about it for tonight. Thank you all so much. We'll see you in the new year, January 9th. We'll be back. We have a little bit of a uh, hiatus, but come back. Join our mailing list if you haven't, and we'll see you on January 9th. And
1: if you don't know where to go to church on Christmas Eve, St. Philip's, um, 730 and 1030 is on uh, there. Look at that. Um, Don't
0: come. No, they say PM. PM.
1: Yeah, don't come to the 430. Unless you really just want to see the Christmas pageant of little children, um, there's not, it's just a lot of chaos. And if you're blessed by that, great. Um, But if you want the wonder and mystery and beauty and a sermon, um, 7.30 and 10.30. It's definitely
0: mysterious. I'll say that. Anyways, all right. All all nice that, for that, thank y'all so much for coming. All right, see y'all.